all of a sudden I heard Apollo like run toward the door and I just look over and I see him like reaching up to like claw his way to climb up the screen door and I'm like what is going on and I look up at the top of the screen door on the outside a squirrel was like running around Whoa. on the screen door thank <laughs> you Welcome to Talking Underwater. One water. One podcast. I'm Lauren Delcello, Managing Editor for Water Quality Products. I'm Katie Johns, Managing Editor of Stormwater Solutions. And I'm Bob Crossan, Senior Managing Editor for Water and Waste Digest. In this month's episode of Talking Underwater, we discuss a trifecta of water positive news, including new water technology investment in Cleveland aimed at creating a blue economy. The US EPA's proposed 2020 financial capability assessment for the Clean Water Act, and a major tech company's commitment to replenish more water than it consumes. And our interview this month is with Yuchun Su, Technical Director, Environmental Resources Engineering at Lockwood, Andrews, and Newnham. I spoke with Dr. Su about best practices to prevent and control source water contamination, as well as long term impacts across the water sector, ranging from stormwater to residential water quality. But before we kick off the meat of this week, this month's episode, we're bringing you this episode a little bit earlier than we normally would because throughout the rest of October, on every Friday, we are releasing a special episode in a series in the conjunction with the Value of Water campaign. This is done through the U.S. Water Alliance, who also do Imagine a Day Without Water, which is on October 21st. Now, this series focuses on sharing diverse voices and perspectives on solving water access, equity, and affordability issues starting with the role of One Water before digging into the utility perspective, a community group perspective, and finally a perspective from the ground floor on water access. So next week, look out for our, the first episode in this series on October 9th, where we are excited to share our chat with U.S. Water Alliance CEO, Radhika Fox. Following that, we will have more episodes. So stay tuned for those as well. All right, thank you, Bob, for that introduction to the special series. But before that, let's get into our regular October episode with a little bit of news. Um, I wanted to touch briefly on some exciting news out of Cleveland, Ohio. In Cleveland, Ohio, water innovation is being used as a platform to stimulate the economy as the impacts of COVID-19 to continue, continue to be felt. And that's through the Federal Economic Development Administration awarded a $600,000 grant to the Cleveland Water Alliance, also known as CWA, to support scaling up the region's water-related industries. This is reported by Crane's Cleveland Business, by the way. The effort is part of the Cleveland Innovation Project, also called CIP, and designed to increase the economic stretch of economic strength of the region's communities, particularly the minority communities. Uh, very interestingly, while Northeast Ohio already includes approximately 300 companies connected to the water economy, and these are companies ranging from researchers tackling, al tackling algal blooms to companies making municipal sensors, all the way to manufacturers of plumbing fixtures and appliances, according to CWA. The grant will develop what it's calling a Blue Economy Innovation Initiative, which is a really cool term, but the ultimate goal is to provide water industry innovators from across the nation and the globe access to a place to develop and innovate and to make that place Cleveland. So I just thought this was a really neat initiative and it definitely reminded me of a lot of the great work going on uh, close to us in Chicago in Milwaukee 
where they even have the hashtag where water works. Um, so great to see this investment in tech growth and looking forward to seeing other water body cities prioritize tech as we're looking to recover from uh, 2020 economy drops. Yeah, and I gotta say that Cleveland, Ohio is, it's no surprise to me because they have so many great thought leaders and leaders in water in Cleveland, Ohio, who are handling things. So it's no surprise to me that they're pushing such cool initiatives. Um, just wanted to note that. Yeah, for sure. I think yeah. we've talked about things they've done before. Katie, you've you've brought some news out of Ohio before as well. Yeah, I was going to say that I think a couple of times we've talked about the H2 Ohio plan, which is on a statewide level, not just a city level, but it still seems like it's trickling to all parts of the state, which is awesome to see. Yeah, very cool. Indeed. Yeah, and just to kind of tie this into the news item that I brought, this talked about uh, minority communities and helping them out. The US EPA on September 15th announced a proposal aimed at helping low-income communities plan for water infrastructure improvements. This is the proposed 2020 Financial Capabilities Assessment for the Clean Water Act, and it focuses on, on how customers uh, can pay for services and the effects that has on affordability for expenses. Um, so the proposed assessment aims to support water utilities that serve low-income communities specifically. and during the AWWA virtual summit, this was brought up during the fireside chat with the US EPA, specifically in regards to resiliency for the coronavirus pandemic and how the low-income uh, communities and uh, BIPOC communities are most devastated by the financial impact of the coronavirus right now and how this type of tool could be really, really helpful. And one last thing I wanted to note on this before we move to Katie's news item is that this is the first time it's been updated since 1997. So big major steps forward, Aqua or AWWA, NACWA and WEF all released a joint press release praising this, uh, the FCA. So I, I definitely encourage you to check out our website to read some more about it and definitely check out the resources on AWWA, WEF and NACWA websites to get some more information on how this could affect you and your community. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for bringing that to the table, Bob. And I definitely have a feeling that we're going to touch on these issues more throughout the next couple of months and some of the impacts of this as well. So listeners, stay tuned. Absolutely. And um, some more positive news for this episode. Microsoft has committed to replenish more water than it consumes by 2030. And their outline strategy certainly echoes the one water mindset. So they aim to reduce their water use and replenish water in water stressed regions they operate in, according to a blog by the president of Microsoft, Brad Smith. Key strategy elements include wetland restoration, on-site rainwater collection and waste treatment, water efficient plumbing fixtures, atmospheric water collection for cooling towers, and more. Through their AI for Earth program, they're also supporting projects focusing on digitizing water data. Sounds like a pretty cool goal they have going on, which is awesome. Yeah, I love to hear this. I've known about some work Microsoft's been doing in the water sphere for a while, but a big part of their work is also connecting innovators together. Um, but specifically, they've got some really cool projects going on, like at their Silicon Valley campus. They're working on non-potable water reuse and on-site recycling sources, which just screams one water to me. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to note here too, <clears throat> for um, for companies like Microsoft and like Google, they use a tremendous amount of water to cool 
servers and whatnot. And I know specifically in Georgia, there was a lot of even legal things going on with how Google is taking water from local aquifers and whatnot. So the fact that Microsoft is saying we're going to recharge those aquifers is like a big deal. That's a massive commitment. Um, and I think that that's, that's really incredible. And it shows the strength of a company that is actually paying attention to how it's affecting its local community. Absolutely. Thanks, Bob. Um, so without further ado, here is our interview with Yuchun Su, Technical Director, Environmental and Water Resources Engineering at Lockwood Andrews and Newnham, where we discuss source water contamination. Hello, everyone. Today, I am joined by Dr. Yuchun Su, the Technical Director of Environmental and Water Resources Engineering for Lockwood Andrews and Newnham. Today, we'll be discussing source water contamination. So, um, Dr. Sue, first, thank you so much for being here. And just to kind of kick things off and get all of our listeners on the same page, can you please just kind of give us an overview of what source water contamination is? Uh, thank you for the opportunity to speak today in this podcast. Uh, again, my name is Yuchin Su, and uh, just a little bit background myself first. Uh, I was born and raised in Taiwan, but I have been in Texas since 1985. I received my PhD from the University of Texas at Austin. And I'm currently, as uh, uh, introduced, I'm currently the, the EWRE Technical Director of uh, Lockwood Andrew and Newland, or LAN, uh, which was established in 1935. Uh, we are engineering firm headquartered in Houston, Texas. Uh, to answer your question, Good, uh, your questions. Source water contamination is pollution of source water, which per US EPA refer to rivers, streams, lakes, reservoirs, springs, and groundwater that provide water to public drinking water supplies and private wells. Any pollution to source water, either due to nature causes or human activities, is therefore source water contaminations. Potential contaminations due to human activities include domestic and industrial wastewater discharge, agriculture runoff and discharge, stormwater runoff, construction site runoff, non-point source pollutions, discharges from oil and gas productions, spills, and many others. Thank you. Thank you for that overview. Um, and so what are some best practices that can be used to prevent and control any source water contamination? Uh, that's a very good question. The contamination cannot be prevented uh, completely, but can be minimized by regulations and technologies. Uh, depending on the location and causes of the contaminations, minimizing contaminations can be site-specific and EPA works with local stakeholders to implement programs to maintain source water quality. On national level, the Safe Drinking Water Act is designed to protect drinking water quality through the multi-barrier approach that consider all threats, either nature or human-made, and establish barriers to either eliminate or minimize the threats. The multi-barrier approach includes selecting the best available drinking water source, protecting the drinking water from contaminations, using effective water treatment, 
and preventing water quality deterioration in the water distribution system. If contamination is caused by nature causes, such as wildlife or specific geological conditions, then protecting source water from contaminations could be quite challenging. For contaminations caused by human activities, it requires the identification of the sources, the types, and the amount of the pollutant loads, so we can develop uh, mitigation measures to eliminate or reduce contaminations to acceptable levels. For example, for domestic and wastewater uh, and industrial wastewater, um, EPA and state agencies have developed standards and water quality models to help determine the available uh, uh, allowable wastewater flows and loads. Based on the standards and models, permits are issued to wastewater dischargers that include monitoring and self-reporting program and spill preventions and controls. In addition, EPA has identified measures of source water pollution, such as uh, riparian zone restorations to reduce runoff pollutions, stream bank stabilization to reduce sediment loads into the waters, land protection and setting up easements uh, to limit development in those areas, best management practices or BMPs for agriculture and forestry activities and for stormwater control, local ordinance to limit certain activities in source water or wellhead protection areas, development of emergency response plan and educating local industry, business, and citizens on pollution prevention and source water protection, uh, basically a public outreach program. Uh, if implemented, these measures can greatly help the protection of source waters. Okay, thank you for that information. That was great. And what are some long-term impacts of source water contamination? So um, I would say the long-term impact is that uh, you, together with population growth and uh, the increase in the need for water supply, uh, especially in this pandemic period where people are asked to wash wash hands frequently and wash at 20 seconds every time. Uh, the water supply is very important, uh, even for fighting the pandemic. And so any contamination to source water will reduce the available water to the public and increase the cost of treatment and that's the long-term impact. Um, so protecting source water is very important, even for, I would say, the survival of human beings. Okay, and how might you know the impact of source water contamination affect residential water quality? Okay, uh, water quality, uh, when you say residential water quality, uh, you know, water quality is important for several areas. Water supply is just one of them. Uh, the other part is uh, aquatic life protections. So uh, they source water areas are their natural habitats. So protecting water quality is protecting their habitats. The other one is uh, con contact recreation. So 
people use waters for recreational purpose. Like uh, Lake Houston here is a water supply reservoir, and people use it not only for water supply, but also for recreations. If you saw the news, there were quite some uh, boat activities over the weekend last week. And so uh, when people have to swim in the waters, uh, contact recreation, which is the official term by EPA to regulate uh, the bacteria level uh, in the water. So when people swim in there and there's a potential to ingest water, uh, that water needs to be uh, clean enough. Uh, and so it's, it's regulated in the 1972 Clean Water Act uh, using bacteria level uh, for contact recreation. So when you ask about residential water quality protections, that trigger a lot of uh, technical uh, discussions uh, in addition to source water protections. So uh, like for example, bacteria in Houston area in the warm climate, bacteria live in the background. So it's in the soil, it's in the sediment, it's in the, in the vegetation. And every time there's a rain, stormwater runoff, wash those uh, sediments down loaded with bacteria uh, and those uh, runoff come into the rivers, the lakes, uh, and even coastal waters uh, and, and cause a high bacteria level for some period of time. Uh, and that also impact the oyster reef productions. Uh, and so there are regulations on uh, closing the beaches and uh, closing down the uh, shellfish harvesting because of stormwater events. And so all those things impact residential water quality. And urban development, uh, if you think about um, people uh, fertilizing their yards and have pets uh, dropping their waste, and even the uh, some birds, the urban birds like pigeons, uh, they grow in populations in urban environment and their droppings is loaded with bacteria and during storm event they got washed down uh, into the waters, uh, into the storm sewer system and then go into the streams. So all those are important, uh, I guess, uh, factors to consider. Uh, and uh, there are BMPs and low impact developments that people have been developing to treat those. Uh, runoff. So, not sure if I answered your question correctly, but <laughs> that's what I know. No, that that was definitely insightful. Thank you so much. Um, and then one of my next questions for you is kind of on the monitoring side of things. How has you know controlling and monitoring source water contamination changed over the years, and how do you think we'll see it advance or change in the future? Yeah, that's a very good question too. Um, so there are several areas that impact source water protections. The first part is the industrial and domestic wastewater discharges. And those have been uh, regulated for several years uh, through a permitting process. Um, so I think it's NPDES or, or National Pollutant Elimina uh, Discharge Elimination System. And uh, those, uh, so every uh, dischargers going into the stream uh, will have uh, a permit 
file, and the state agencies and the EPA will review the permit. Uh, in, typically, they will take the permit application with the wastewater and industrial wastewater, uh, domestic or industrial, uh, get their permitted flow and load into a model that they develop for a particular water body where the discharge will be and calculate the impact of those discharge to determine how much will be allowed to discharge. So, so that part has been regulated for quite some time and uh, um, that include a monitoring program. Uh, it's a, actually a self-reporting uh, system so each wastewater permittees will have to monitor their wastewater discharge and self-report to state and EPA uh, for for any violations and, and their daily average and uh, daily maximum uh, on a monthly basis. Um, and so those those have been regulated a lot, and I expect that monitoring program to continue. So that's on the wastewater permitting side. On the stormwater runoff side, um, currently EPA has, uh, um, we call it, the, in, in the state of Texas, we call it general permits. So through the NPDES program for state of Texas is the Texas, uh, so it's called TPDES uh, program. Um, they regulate uh, MS4, so it's municipal separated storm sewer system. Uh, that's that's one general permit. The other one is general permit for construction activities. And uh, so through all this program, um, EPA and state agencies regulate stormwater runoff discharge from construction sites from uh, um, the municipal storm sewer system. And the third one is the industrial activities. We call it multi-sector general permits. Um, and so stormwater runoff from all these sources uh, are regulated through that. Uh, however, the technology to treat those, uh, because stormwater is, is, uh, is number one, high in quantity, and number two, uh, high in pollutant loads. So to treat them in a short period of time during strong events, uh, it's quite challenging. And so we have something called uh, best management projects or BMPs and something called low impact uh, development LID. And the third one is called uh, green uh, infrastructure. Uh, so we call it green stormwater infrastructure, so GSI. So all this uh, got, got popular and they all have monitoring program uh, to come with the MS4 require monitoring program to the discharges and construction site runoff has monitoring program as part of their stormwater pollution prevention plan and multi-sector general permit has requirement for each permittees to monitor as well. And in addition to that, in Texas, we have something called Clean Rivers Program that uh, monitors selected uh, water quality stations uh, over the, the water bodies in Texas uh, in general on a quarterly uh, schedule. And so the collected water quality data, uh, in, including bacteria, nutrients, BOD, dissolved oxygen, all those uh, water quality constituents and sediment, of course, um, they all got uh, 
stored in a state database, and those data are very useful to people uh, working in these professions to uh, identify pollutant sources and uh, identify the best uh, management practice to treat those sources, uh, treat those pollutants uh, to protect the sources. So I, I expect this monitoring program to continue as well. Uh, and of course, everything is uh, down to funding. So if funding is getting worse, especially with the impact on the pandemic, then uh, uh, it, it could impact monitoring program. Okay, gotcha. Thank you so much for explaining that. And do you think that an emphasis on protecting source water has increased over time? I would say yes. Uh, I think with with um, human development, uh, that contaminations level have been going up, um, especially with urban runoff and uh, um, stormwater runoff. Um, and wastewater treatment plant have been uh, advanced. So I think uh, with the secondary treatment, even the the advanced treatments, uh, the wastewater discharge should be meeting the standards pretty well. Uh, stormwater runoff, and especially from urban areas, uh, has been a target recently. Um, and with more and more uh, human development and populations in our watersheds, uh, and higher and higher use of the waters, um, the contamination level should be going up uh, through time. And the climate change um, certainly impact uh, the situation as well. So we have extreme events such as extreme drought or extreme uh, flood. Um, both are impacting uh, the source water protections um, by extreme drought reduce uh, water flow in the stream and uh, our water supply reservoir got less water when it drop too low then it's harder to get uh, you know the concentration of pollutants will go up when you have less clean water in the in the water bodies and so it, it make it harder to treat and um, the extreme flooding uh, with uh, more intense uh, flooding events will have higher energy washing down pollutants uh, into the water body, the source water locations. And so that can, for example, uh, have lots of sediment that reduce the capacity of the reservoir and even sometimes block the intake to a water treatment plant. Uh, for a riverine situation like Brazos River near Houston, uh, there have been several strong events that caused the intake to be either damaged or, or sealed up uh, that require treatment uh, or, or repair. So things like that, I think, is changing over time and it's, it's making situation worse and require additional funding to to, uh, to do better. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much. Um, Dr. Sue, those are all of my questions for you, but is there anything else you want to touch on before we sign off? Uh, yes. Uh, there are a couple of things I'd like to add. Uh, one of that is that uh, we have done a project um, recently 
with the San Antonio River Authority is called Osera. Um, and that project um, received a couple of awards already. One of them is uh, ACEC Texas Gold Medal Engineering Excellence Award in 2016 and the WEF Project Excellence Award in 2020. So the project involved the selection and implementation of BMP and LID strategies to address urban runoff pollutions for holistic watershed master planning and stormwater management. In the past, this strategy had been limited to qualitative planning due to the lack of suitable tools to conduct quantitative assessment. So to help address these issues, we have created a number of innovative water quality modeling tools to allow quantitative water quality master planning and BMP LID prioritization in San Antonio River Basin. So applying these models and tools will enable water authorities and stormwater professionals to effectively manage stormwater runoff as close as possible to the source, thereby creating more sustainable watersheds that also help protect source waters. We have spent a lot of effort developing these tools. They are in public domain, so that's the good news. So anyone interested in learning more about the tools can contact either Sarah or LAN. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Dr. Sue. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. Um, so I hope you have a great rest of your day. Yeah, you too. Thank you for the opportunity today to speak about this important topic. Uh, please feel free to reach me at uh, either ycsu at lan-inc.org.com uh, or 713-266-6900. Thank you so much. Thank you. much for that interview, Dr. Sue. We really appreciate your time and the opportunity to share your insight with our listeners. So next, on to a little bit of brief housekeeping as we wrap up the episode today uh, for WQP, for the residential and commercial water treatment market. Don't forget to take our annual state of the industry survey and tell us how 2020 has impacted you and what you expect to see in 2021. Take that survey at bit.ly slash SOTI 2020 WQP. Yeah, and we are also conducting a similar survey for the municipal and industrial audience for water and wastewater. You can find that survey for WWD at bit.ly slash WWD 2020 SOTI pod. And I also wanted to direct you to our industry icon series. I finished that this week with culminating in an interview with our industry icon for 2020, David Drake. So definitely check that out. You can visit our playlist on Facebook at bit.ly slash WWD Weekly Digest. And like WQP and WWD, Stormwater Solutions also has a state of the industry survey open for all of you stormwater and erosion control professionals. And you can take that at bit.ly slash SWS 2020 SOTI. And with that, don't forget to like, subscribe, share on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Spotify. And of course, you can always reach talkingunderwater at sgcmail.com to share your thoughts. And finally, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TUW Podcast. Thanks for listening.
Thanks for listening and see you next week.